I'd like to uh, welcome to the stage Kit Harrington, Liv Tyler, Ronan Bennett, and Jay Blakeson. Uh, Kit, uh, first of all, congratulations. Um, let's start with you. It sounds like this was something of a passion project. Do you want to take us through its gestation, where it, how it came about? Um, yeah, I kind of, I suppose, want to avoid the term passion project, oh. isn't it? <laughs> Apologies. But, it, but no, I get what you mean. I think it was like, really, the, the idea spawned from a piece of family curiosity, which is that my mother's maiden name is Catesby, my middle name is Catesby, and I'm, you know, it was always the kind of thing growing up that we were told, oh, did you know that you were related to the leader of the gunpowder plot? Um, but then more than that, really, I sort of, uh, I think me and, me and Dan saw this idea for something that we couldn't really work out why it hadn't been dramatised. It's uh, such a significant piece of typically English folklore and... and, and and we celebrate it every year, and on, well, celebrate maybe the wrong word, but we mark it every year. On the 5th of November, we set up fireworks and, and it's bonfire night. It just seemed odd to us that it hadn't been dramatised. So that's where the idea sort of spawned from. It was from a kind of a family, a family connection, but more from the fact that it, it seemed like a, an idea that was quite ripe for doing, actually. And it's one thing to want to get something made. How did you go about doing it? I mean, you've been pretty busy these last few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we, we wanted to see if we could, first of all. I, don't, I, I think it was, it was something... It was, it, I think that me and Dan wanted to produce something, wanted to create something. Dan um, being your, the... Dan, yeah, Dan, Dan West. Um, and I, I think, you know, it was, it, it was something that we, we then took to... Ollie Madden at Kudos, and um, and he he liked the idea um, of doing something around it, and said, "Do you want to do you want to write it?" And we went, "No, we're not. We're, you know, we're not we're not writers. We need to find a really good writer." And that was when we were, you know, put in touch with Ronan, um, and what Ronan brought to it was was just more than we could have imagined. Really, we'll come to Ronan in a minute. First of all, Liv, uh, am I right to think this is your first British television production? Yes, yes. Phew. Um, <laughs> why did you choose this one? Why did you want to be in this um, one? I had just moved to London in August last year, and my wonderful agent, Ang Harrod, uh, just a few weeks after being here, I said, I want to work, and I just had my daughter, and I'd be living here, and she called and off said, well, there's this part, and it's, I don't know if you'll, it was a very strange thing. I FaceTimed with Jay yeah. from New York, and I don't think you guys were probably thinking of me at all for this part. <laughs> Uh, but I read it and I loved it, and um, we had a, a FaceTime, and then we all met, and it sort of happened. And um, I was really drawn to it, and um, meant the whole story of obviously for me as an American is I know a little bit about it, but I don't know everything, so it's always nice to be learning something. And you were lucky; you had a direct source. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to just tell us a little bit more? Um, I, my understanding is that we'll see more of Anne in second and third episode. Could you I haven't actually seen it all. That was my first time. Is that right? Very intense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Could we get a bit of a tease as to yeah. how she's going to develop as a character without spoiling it? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, oh, God, will you help me? Yes, why not? 
Well, you know, as you've it's seen kind of from episode one, Anne is quite tough, and she's, you know, at the beginning helping these priests hide away. And you know, as you see from her exchange with Wade, uh, that she has a reputation for doing doing this. And so she um, is a protector of of Garnet, really, because mm. Garnet is now in hiding, as we saw at the end of the episode there. He's in hiding in London, and she she sort of protects him at the same trying to protect Catesby and Catesby's family, and she's such a strong force, because she can sort of move around freely, because she's not a wanted person, whereas Catesby is and Garnet is. So she's uh, kind of not instrumental to the plot, because you know we'll find out what her feelings about the plot are later, but she is, uh, she's a sort of very strong and defiant character who really sort of uh, comes into her own and really shows off, you know, lives lives many talents in, uh, in a, what I think is fantastic performance, as, uh, as everybody will find out when they watch it on BBC One. Which, of course, they will. Um, yeah. Ronan, um, some people will think, rightly or wrongly, that this is a story they kind of know already. Um, can you say what's new um, from your point of view in this, in this retelling? Uh, well, seven or eight years ago, I went to a bonfire night celebration in Victoria Park near where I live in Hackney and they had a, they'd constructed, it seemed at huge expense, uh, the Palace of Westminster and at the end of it they burned it, <laughs> they burned it down <laughs> and, um, and I think if you ask most people what they know about the gunpowder plot they'll go Guy Fawkes um, blew, blew up Parliament, tried to blow up Parliament, you know something like that and everything else is empty you know they just mm. people don't really know anything about it and when Kit and Daniel and Ollie came to see me I, I actually have a PhD in history and it's from this period but I had forgotten if I ever knew about Catesby mm -hmm. and uh, that Catesby was actually the real leader of it the mastermind of it um, so for me it was kind of diving back into the history books um, and trying to work out the question for me is, where does this come from? You know, it's, why does somebody do this? And historians will always teach you that you have to look at the context. So really what you saw in the first episode was the context. And I think for most people, I'd imagine um, most people, that will be quite new, seeing that. Just seeing the, the level of violence, the persecution, the motivation behind Catesby's later actions. So that's what I wanted to, to bring to it. There's also, in pure kind of in, in drama and excitement, we think of the plot ending with the arrest of Guy Fawkes. But, and no spoilers here, but it doesn't. There's actually another very dramatic episode. So I think people will, that's what you asked me, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. New, yeah. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> Kit, you said that you, you grew up knowing that Catesby was an ancestor of yours. Do you, what, what sort of man were you led to believe he was? was? Was he portrayed as a hero in your family? No, not, not really. It, it was more, again, like I said, a piece of curiosity, a kind of, uh, and I, I didn't actually know a lot about, I think I knew more than some people about the gunpowder plot, but not, not a lot, it was only by doing um, some research into it that I sort of started to understand who these people were. And I, um, my personal feelings about Catesby were, are that I think he, if you look at who he was, he's a, he's a widower, he doesn't connect with his son, 
He uh, is experiencing huge persecution and his, his, he's a very proud man. His money is being stripped from him. Um, I think in some ways, you know, he's on some kind of a death wish and, and, and he pulls a lot of some innocent people in with him into this plot. So I don't have particularly fond feelings towards him. Um, but I think when looking at the plot in general and looking at all the characters, what I did really feel was that all the there were so many of the different plotters that had so many su such different things they were bringing to this this plot. They had so many different personalities, they had so many different reasons for what they were doing. And I thought that was that was fascinating. It was just fascinating learning about this uh, this piece of history in, in you know in something that I thought I knew maybe better than some people, but I ended up not knowing anything about really. And Jay, you've primarily, I think, entirely directed movies up to this point? Um, yeah, I've not done TV before, no. Uh, uh, so again, same question as I put to Liv earlier. Why, why this TV show? Um, well, it's very rare. You get sent a lot of scripts. I'm sure it's the same for you guys. You get sent a lot of scripts and you read them, and very rarely are they ones that you want to do. Hmm. And this one uh, turned up, and as soon as I read well, even just like the first 25 minutes of it, the 25, first 25 pages to read an episode where you're 25 pages in and you're still in the first scene. Mm. You're, uh, you know, that's a rare thing. And it was incredibly well written. And it, like Kit said, it had that sort of, that sort of kind of dream thing for a project, which is people think they know it and there's like a recognition for it. So people are interested in it, but actually you've got a, a story to tell that is interesting and is enlightening and people don't know it. So there's a real opportunity there, as well as like, you know, an, an audience already kind of hungry for it. But primarily, I just read the script and I really liked it. And, you know, you want to do good stuff. And this was a good project. And it, would, it was ready to go. It had kit on it. And it was like, it was sort of like a very easy decision. It's good yeah. material with a, with a great actor. And it was, they were going to make it, you know, and they're not always going to make <laughs> it, you know. Does that mean, that you talk about a story that people might have thought they know. Does that mean there are cliches that both you and Ronan were careful to avoid when you were telling this kind of story? Well, for me, it was, there's maybe the visually. sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, because most people know about Guy Fawkes now from sort of like the V for Vendetta, yeah. sort of anonymous mask. Um, and that's and like him as being sort of a folklore hero and there's a very typical image of him. Um, where, and you know, we have this sort of very nostalgic view of the past, of it being this lovely place. And one of the great things from Ronan's script is that he really described it as not that at all. <laughs> you know, mm. there's like there's no indoor plumbing, there's no sewer system. You know, there's people didn't Rampant have very halitosis. Yeah, halitosis, and people would people would die in the street all the time. Death was everywhere. You know, people would have big families because half their kids would die. People would die in childbirth all the time. It's like a horrible place. Um, but you know, we. So, like, showing the history as being like that, being textured, being lived in, was quite important. And I know it was important to Ronan because all that detail was in the script. But then that was such a joy to bring to the screen and make it not feel like it was a nostalgic view of history, but it was like a living, breathing version of history where these people are real, identifiable characters who feel lived in and feel like they have lives. And obviously, I mean, historically, there's no one accurate, true version of any history. but. Were you attempting here to portray a London and a story that is as accurate, as true in the, the way that people would take that to me? That people won't yeah. pick holes in and go, oh, that couldn't have happened. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, you try to be as accurate. I mean, obviously, with, with, with drama, you have to move things around. 
otherwise you're making a documentary and, and you, that's what you might as well do. But within that, yes, you try. So I noticed there were some laughs when the king was at his toilet, but um, there was a groom of the stole. Well, there was a groom of the stole, but there was also a groom of the stool. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I just thought that okay, you know, and life of a king was lived uh, publicly at court. You know, he was always surrounded. And so I thought, well, let's in that scene, which is basically him being persuaded that. Uh, that he should take measures to safeguard his life and put this kind of stab vest on and so on. And I thought, well, let, what, what can we do to kind of show a little bit of what the reality of life would be in that scene, in that scene, which is basically information. Mm. Uh, so groom, you know, was seeing him, seeing him on the toilet. And so that was the, every, virtually every scene I wrote, I was thinking, what can I show of 17th century life here in passing? So that in a way that if we were making a contemporary drama, you know, we, we would just have ordinary things going on. And these were the ordinary things that were going on. So the court scene, for example, <coughs> when Catesby is fined uh, and with the other recusants and taken away, um, you know, criminal justice in those days was, you know, was nasty, brutish. And as you saw from the trial of the woman and her son beforehand, it was very short. And I just, I thought, here's an opportunity to get some of that texture in. Because it is about, it, it, same with you know, thrones and everything else, it's, it is about world creation. What you're doing is creating a world that the audience can believe in, and that needs texture, it needs detail. Now Liv, um, you mentioned that you've only recently moved to London, um, fairly recently, and yet I would say your accent was impeccable. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'll do that. Um, <laughs> did you, you have to, uh, I, what does one do, listen to tapes? Uh, study uh, English speak. How did you get your accent so good? Um, I just wanted to go back and say the other reason why I wanted to do this was obviously because of the incredible talent and being able to work with everyone. I didn't say that when you asked me that question. I was like, oh, I just moved so to London. London you don't have to it say was that. So well yeah. written. <laughs> I was so blown away by it. We all assume everyone here is honored to be considered. But, um, I, well, it was all, it all happened so fast, and I didn't, we, when we Skyped, I think that you were like, but can you speak with an English well, like, accent? Well, because I, I heard you do it in Lord of the Rings, <laughs> yeah. and so I knew you could do it, and but I thought, thought, oh, well, can so I was I, like, yeah. have you? <laughs> so I actually worked with um, a dialect coach who, Joan Washington, I worked with a, like three different people, a woman that I worked with on the Lord of the Rings, who's amazing, another woman that would help me on set, but I went to see this wonderful woman, Joan Washington, who I had learned my accent originally from a film called On Yegan, I think, when I was 18, and I just went to sort of check in with her, and it kind of just came back. It's like skiing or something that you don't do often, but, um, and then we just, you know, it's, it's amazing to have the challenge of getting to do something like that, so. Does I it help living here, having the, the voices all around you and picking up on the... Yeah, but everybody effect. had really different accents. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> Peter would throw me off a lot. And then yeah, and Sean's super northern. Yeah, we shot in Yorkshire, so ah. we had a lot of Yorkshire so, accents. Yeah, a lot. We were in Leeds. Um, um, yeah, so it just it takes a lot of focus and patience and, and someone coming over and kind of going, don't say that A like that. <laughs> you didn't, While you're acting and thinking of everything and else. You didn't stay in character, did you, when you were in between takes? Because no. the day I saw you on the set... I was giggling you, and... <laughs> yeah, you were, you were being like you are now, and then just, you know, go, and the yeah. accent was, was on. I tried to. When I would... My dialect coach and I would take the train back and forth from London to Leeds, and in that time, I would 
be in accent with her, and we would just work really hard. And then behind closed doors in my trailer, embarrassingly, I would be doing it. Um, <laughs> but not so much on set, but yeah. Now, Kit, um, we were just mentioning the uh, research process and Rona's knowledge of history. Have you learned things about Catesby that you didn't know before in the process of making this? Has it changed your opinion of him? Well, yeah. Um, like, I mean, I, I don't really have a... I guess in some ways I might have been proud of him or have feelings of him before we got into this. I think the major change was that I felt desperately sorry for him after doing this and after sort of living as him for a bit or a bit playing him. Um, I think he was, a, I think, as you'll see from the next two episodes, he was a, actually a deeply sad man um, who botched <laughs> a, uh, is, is one thing he wanted. He can't, he, 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 he fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I think he's, I think he, he inspired, if you read up on him, he inspired a lot of um, loyalty in people. He was, you know, you don't, you don't get that many people to try and, um, you know, uh, commit treason without being some kind of charismatic man. And also, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a character called uh, Percy who's, who's his sort of senior, like rank-wise in many ways, and, and he followed him into, into doing this plot. So he must have been quite a kind of enigmatic person, and it seems like he was from reading up on him, but, but I think deep down, I think he was, he was, he was tortured mm. some, somewhere, and that's, that's what I really wanted to try and play him as, or try and get into him as. I wonder, I mean, perhaps a question for, for anyone who wants to take it, but is this, a, is this a timely rendition of this story? Does it have uh, topical relevance, do you think? Well, I think it always has topical relevance. I think nothing changes ever, really. And, I mean, I think if you'd make this 20 years ago, 50 years ago, it would still have topical relevance, and, which is sort of sad and <laughs> disappointing that it does, you know, while we were making it. I mean, the world always seems to be changing fast, and... I think what was happening to Catesby is, you know, a few years earlier, his life was fine, and then suddenly it collapsed in on itself, and he didn't, didn't know what to do with himself. And, you know, when, when things, when life's coming at you fast, it, you know, a story like this is always kind of relevant. Mm. But I think, I don't think, you know, it's when you, when you, I think you can sort of read relevant things into it, but that's, yeah. I don't think, that, well, that wasn't my ambition going in. My ambition was that it was just a, you know, very interesting story about this, interesting guy that you sort of thought of as someone on the sidelines of the story, yeah. but actually was the linchpin in it, and that, for me, was the fascinating sort of aspect. I, I will confess my manifest ignorance. I thought he was Robert. Yes, he yeah, is, but his, but his friends call him Rob. Ah, OK. okay. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, just before we get some questions from the audience, uh, Kit, I did wonder when you read, maybe it wasn't in the script, but the description, leather jerkin, long hair, mm -hmm. beard, did you think, I might go for the crew cut this time, or... No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think it fitted quite well into me not being able to cut my hair. And just ah, yeah, like, yeah. That, that'll work. Um, <laughs> why I keep desiring to film in cold, muddy places on horses, I have no idea, but it yeah. seems to be some <laughs> desire that's built into me from a past life, I think. That's because you're very good at it. Oh. Now, um, let's get some questions. I believe there are some roving microphones, and that gentleman put his hand up first. So if you just wait for the mic so we can hear you. 
Hi there, I uh, enjoyed that, and uh, I'm a bit of a snob about the period. I didn't study history, but I studied a lot of literature of the period, and as a question for Ronan, um, the, the sort of language of Thomas Nash and Webster and Kit Marlowe and Shakespeare and the King James Bible would probably have been a bit too remote for people to follow if they're not as familiar with it as they are, say, with Shakespeare's Macbeth or whatever. But nevertheless, you did a sort of compromise between modern language and uh, um, Jacobean language. And uh, I just wondered if you had any particular method that they used to, uh, did you try the lines out on people and said, does this make any sense? <laughs> or Because I'm, I'm sort of listening to it. And unlike with most historical dramas, I'm, I'm actually believing it, which is, I think the French call that raison blanc, I can't remember. But the truth to life is very important in a drama. And the language seemed true to the period, but obviously, is not quite true to the period, or we wouldn't have followed it very well. So yeah. I just wondered if you had any particular method of inventing the language that you used. Um, well, thank you, uh, first of all. Um, I, some 10 years ago or so, I wrote a novel that was set in the 17th century, and I decided to write it in that voice. And it's like kind of music that's in your head, because for when I was doing my PhD, I was reading court records from the period. And you're struck. Uh, by the muscularity of the language, but at the same time, there's a, it has its own poetics. Uh, it's very vivid. Um, the, stru the structure of the sentences can often, it can be reversed, and uh, sometimes, like a bit like Spanish, it can be flipped on its head. So I and I really love it. And I wasn't sure that I would write gunpowder in that language until I went to see, just as I was starting to write, I went to see uh, the Witch, uh, The Witch by, um, who directed that? Uh, the Witch. My God, we're in Bafta. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, right. And he had, he had been very uh, rigorous about the language. And I called Ollie Madden up the next day, and I said, I'm going to write it in this way, because it's just, this is how it has to be done. And... Um, and Ollie said, yeah, you know, go for it, try it out. And we tried out um, the first long sequence, and it seemed to work. And so we just, anyway, we, we continued with that. And some lines, like Catesby's lines, uh, when they're at the pub window overlooking Westminster, which he really did do, uh, those lines are taken directly from uh, contemporary accounts at the time. Some, I think a survivor must have given evidence or something like that. So that thing, in that place, uh, in that place, have they done us all this all, mischief? In that place, have they done us all this mischief? I mean, so, those are Catesby's real lines, or uh, pretty accurately. Um, so, we used some of those uh, Lady Dorothy's language on the uh, before she's executed. I, I will not say amen to your prayers, nor should you to mine. That's taken from uh, the execution of um, Dan. Mar Margaret Feather. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So that's how we did it. That's, that's how we did it. Yeah. Uh, who is next? There was a hand down here. Hi, a question for Kit. Have you had the opportunity to work out through your family tree exactly how you're related to, to Catesby? I know it's probably, it is a long time ago, but have you worked out what the relationship is? We think it's, we think it's great, 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 great. 
Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> great, 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 great. No, it is no. the answer. Um, <laughs> but I think it's direct. I've been okay. told it is. Um, yeah, no, I, that, that's that's as much as I know. All right, and a, a more general question. Um, some very powerful scenes of execution in that first episode, and there are probably some more of the of the same to come. Um, were they hard to um, agree uh, to get the BBC to agree to uh, show them in such um, such an extreme form? I mean, they are some of the most powerful scenes of of torture I've seen on TV for a long time. Did the BBC see show any resistance to you allowing that level of violence and torture? I think, well, I mean, well, no, not really. I mean, yeah. we had a discussion early on from at script stage, because um, it was always going to be BBC One show um, for a BBC One audience, and so we want to, you know, fill that slot and deliver what we, what we need to deliver, but there was never any really any pushback, because all those scenes for everybody involved are all about the characters and the emotions and about Catesby's reaction and about the audience reaction to this character of Dorothy and how, if anybody is sort of like a purely good character <laughs> at the beginning of the show, it's, it's Lady Dorothy and how, sh how she is treated. And um, no, there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, it was a real collaboration with the BBC and they, they've been very supportive. Who else? Yes, there's someone up there. Can't see where. No, there isn't someone out there. Um, I mean, there is someone, but not someone who wants to ask. Yes. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, Kit and the rest of the panel: um, How much did researching this make you um, fall into the belief that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter? I think the interesting thing about the word terrorist in this context is that these men technically weren't terrorists. They, they thought of themselves as revolutionaries. They were revolutionaries. A terrorist is someone who goes about creating terror to instill fear and chaos. And, uh, and, a, and these men wanted to bring about direct change to government. They wanted to replace James with their own monarch. Um, of course, I think you know, they're going to be... Um, you know, there is a comparison to be made by these young men who feel disenfranchised and, and are pushed out from society and go and do something very, very violent. But, um, yeah, I, was, I think we were careful to not sort of use the word terrorist in this context, I think. But also, as you said, Kate... It's amazing yeah. to see both sides of the stories with so much compassion. You really see... Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think both sides have got people doing horrible things. <laughs> you know, I don't think both sides... Are sort of, it's not like a choice between sort of two good guys. It's a, mm. it's a situation of, you know of power and how power is how power is used with with the system but also as Kit said before it's about this man who's who is a broken tortured man who is doing things he feels are right but for very wrong reasons or he's doing like the wrong things for very right reasons and it's it's what was so clear from the start of it it's a, it's a very complex story for Catesby and so I don't think there is any sort of answer in there no. that we were looking I was, for a I was kind of interested in, and I'm always interested in human motivation. I mean, what makes us do what we want to, what we do. And we, we're not always the best judge of that ourselves. We, you know, we tell ourselves half-truths and we put a gloss on it and, and so on. Years ago, I saw, well, you know, the, the great film, um, the Peter Weir film, The Year of Living Dangerously. And there's a question asked in that movie that I think of a lot, almost everything I write there's this question is asked. Uh, Billy 
character Billy Kwan in that movie, and it's obviously a totally different context. It's Indonesia in the 1960s. But Billy Kwan says, what must we do? And he, and he bangs, you know, I think he, if you remember the thing, he's banging it out in the tablet and he's saying, what then must we do? What then must we do? And that's, rather than think of it in contemporary terms, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather say, OK, put yourself in Catesby's shoes. Put yourself in the, in the priests who are hiding. Put yourself in their shoes. And then ask yourself what you should do. And really, that's what I, rather than kind of questions that can't ever really be answered about, are they terrorists or not terrorists, or what are they? It's, it's more just on a human level. What should you do? In that, I mean, I really enjoy putting characters in really difficult positions and then asking the question. Yes, gentlemen down here, then we'll, then we'll go to you. So down here first, please. Um, hi, Kit. Is this um, something, producing this and creating this, is this something you want to do more of? And I mean, we recently had Benedict Cumberbatch um, producing A Child in Time. And I wonder if this is something you want to do with your career now. Um, yeah, it is. I, this is almost a, a tester to see if... I think me, me and Dan now have a production company called, called Thryker Films, and we, we very much want to continue looking for things, sourcing things, producing things. We're looking for that next thing now. Um, and this was a test to see if this was something on a personal level that I enjoyed doing. And I did enjoy it very much. And I, I think it's given me a completely different, I felt so proud of it uh, all the way along and, and sitting here and watching it in a way that I, fi I find much harder to do as just an actor. Uh, it, it's, it's, you, I think it's something about, in a weird way, controlling and, and knowing the reasons why decisions are made and being part of those decisions. It's given me great comfort in the end process, in the end, and in, in watching it. Um, I, don't, I don't know about acting and producing at the same time. I find I found that tricky at times, um, but I definitely like to produce again whilst continuing to act. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Have you got any other ancestors who are involved in major? <laughs> that would be a good place to start. But, um, yeah. Maybe have. Um, I think it was. Yes, you next. Sorry. Hi. I thought the period was really well captured, and I wondered where the locations were. And in the hall, was there really a priest hole there, or did you create one? Well, um, abandoned warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the locations were all around Yorkshire. Um, the interior of that hall was a set that was built by, uh, well, built by the construction crew, but designed by uh, Grant Montgomery, who was our production designer, who was extremely fastidious about the details. And those priest holes were based on real priest holes in houses that he'd, he'd researched. And the way, you know, the, the reason we wanted to go with sets more than on location, if you go to a National Trust place, it's all the bare wooden walls, and you're not allowed to touch anything. You know, you have to just hang things in front of things. Where, and you can't kind of bash things around and have people banging on walls like, uh, like Sean was doing. Um, but when, when you could build it, when you know, if you build it, you can paint it all the colours it would have been, because it was a, as you saw from, from that opening hall, there was there was lots of patterns on the wall, there was colour everywhere, um, much like we'd have it now with 
like wallpaper or art on the walls, and it was it was like that. But because because you've got to protect history, you can't have that. <laughs> you can't have you can't do that to a national trust place. They won't let you go in and paint it. Um, so uh, so yes, we a lot of the stuff we did was was built, um, and the locations for the outside that was all built. We built a block of because. You know, 1605 London doesn't exist because it burnt down. So we had to we had to build it. So we built a lot of stuff for the show. Did everyone have a go in the priest hole secretly? <laughs> yeah, I think I probably. Would I did. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so um, we got a, got a bit tight in there for a while when we had a camera crew and two priests. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've got time for one more. So yes, down there. Just wait for the microphone. Um, so my question is for Liv and Kit. Obviously, that was fantastic, and I'll definitely Thank be watching you. the rest. Um, but my thought was, <coughs> sorry, if you were in a sense to do this all over again, and I know in specifically in England we have a really rich and interesting and very gruesome history, is there any particular time era or character or event that you would perhaps want to portray if you were to do it again? This again? Oh, well, no, if you were to do another show. Oh, mm. <laughs> thinking, thinking, thinking. I, I loved getting to be in this, and it's still all so fresh and new to me, and I'm still learning so much and um, trying to think. It's amazing the opportunity to get to play so many different characters and different times, and there's just so much. I'm trying to think. Do you have a, something specific? Do you think there's some specific events speci in history? A, a you'd specific like? historical character. Is, is there another period in time that you particularly find interesting that you would uh. want to portray at another point? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> so difficult. Uh, there's lots. Yeah. 60s London. Yeah. Love to do something then. Um, I don't know. I think I think I think I'm I'm personally done now with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sword. Currently, yeah. with maybe 1600 and previous. <laughs> so moving forward, um, some something something with guns. <laughs> I'll just move my way slowly, more modern, century by 1940s? century. 1940s. Yeah, 1940s would be. I've done something. Benji, like there's somebody who's had her hand up almost the entire oh, time, me. right at the front, right here. Um, forgive me. So you can have the last question. Do you want to just wait for the microphone so we can hear you? They can hear you at the back. Thank you very much. And so it's a question, a combination of question for Ronan and also for your director. I see that your piece has been cut very beautifully by Mark Ecclesley. Mm -hmm. um, did you have an issue with time? Because the script is really beautifully structured. Did you have any issue with time from the script point of view through post? Mm -hmm. And did you lose anything time-wise? Because it's very tightly edited together. Yeah. And there's a lot of invisible editing in there, and it works really well. So your relationship with Mark, and also did you make any structural um, changes? Yeah. And did you lose any dialogue, which must have been very hard to do, if you, you know, because it's so, so well written. Yeah. That, that's well, I, I knew we should have got your question. <laughs> I will tell you yeah. that I am an editor, and Mark was my trainee many years ago, oh. and he's extremely talented. He so 
Uh, uh, yeah, Over Mark, to you. Mark, who couldn't be here tonight, unfortunately. Um, uh, I worked with him on my first film, The Disappearance of Alice Creed, and we really enjoyed working together, and he did an amazing job with that. Because we were, much like the first scene of this, we were all in one room, but that was an entire film. Um, and Mark just, Mark just loves character, but he loves pace and he loves shots. He's just, he's so enthusiastic. Uh, the, the answer is yes, we did lose a lot of dialogue, but we didn't lose, we didn't lose that many scenes. I mean, it was important to keep moments. So there's a lot of moments of just silence of people looking at each other. So when Catesby with his, is at home with his family and his son, there's a lot of air in that scene. And between um, Catesby and his friend Wintour, we, we try and leave a lot of just moments of them looking at each other and Mark's always hunting for that stuff of the little look, the little cutaway. Um, and he's, you know, if we can do it with a look and save three lines, then that's great. We, it was a challenge time-wise, but not so much this episode. This episode is a little, little more contained. Moving forward, there was a little more of a challenge, but we didn't, we didn't lose that much of what we shot. There was a little that got cut before we shot because it was because of scheduling, but apart from that, I mean, you'll, you'll probably think that I cut like yeah, half of it out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, not talking to you anymore. <laughs> um, that is all we have time for. It only remains to thank our panel and to thank you all for coming. <laughs>